grateful for all the God's goodness that comes to us in the world around us and especially in the beauty of creation. Friends, it's a pleasure to welcome everybody here to our service uh, here in the Activity Center. There are bulletins over on the table uh, as you walk in if you haven't gotten a bulletin yet. And then you can also sign the friendship pad over there. If you're joining us online tonight through our live stream, then you can go to the uh, website of Germantown Presbyterian Church and you can download a bulletin and you can see all the words to the songs and you can join us in uh, the service and especially in the beautiful music that we will have. And uh, on that note, I'll, I, we know we have two guest singers with us tonight. John will introduce them in just a few minutes, but it's a, such a great uh, joy and privilege to have you all with us along with our uh, normal folks, but I also see another guest back there as well. You'll introduce all of, all of them in just a few minutes. So welcome, everybody. Welcome to our praise team. We're delighted for everybody to be part of this service tonight. Let me just remind you, uh, next Sunday is the holiday. It's July 4th, so we actually won't have our service, our evening service next Sunday on the holiday. We know a lot of people will be traveling and a lot of people will, be, uh, will not be able to be here. So we just said, well, let's take a two-week pause. We'll take a hiatus next week. We'll, we'll, we will be back in two weeks on uh, July the 11th for our worship service. Where will we be for that service? We do not know yet. Um, if you want to poke your head into the sanctuary, you can, and you can see how great it looks. Carpets down, pews are down. Um, it is, I'd say, um, I don't know, 90% finished. It's, if it's been, a, feels like it's been a marathon for us, and we're uh, at mile 25. The problem is the last mile is usually the most difficult and takes the longest for folks at the end of a marathon, and so we we hope that we'll be back in to the sanctuary very soon. We're not quite sure, but it looks like we will be probably definitely in two weeks. So stay tuned for that, and then uh, we hope we'll be back in the sanctuary in about two weeks. Uh, those are all of our announcements for this evening. Before we open up our time with music, let me say a word of prayer and uh, to invite God to lead us in this service. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you this evening, and we are grateful for all the gifts of your love. In particular tonight, Lord, we are grateful for the gift of this worship service. For this evening, for this hour or so, we pray, Lord, that you would please bless our time. We pray that you would guide us and direct us. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us in what we sing and what we say and in what Tom preaches. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless his words and bless him as he brings us your word this evening. We thank you for all of your good gifts. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Good evening, everyone. I would like to introduce um, this beautiful lady here, Ms. Hope Van Dowser. Uh, she is also one of my students. She'll be graduating this year. Yes. And uh, also next to her is Jayla Tate, and she is also one of my worship leadership students. And uh, if you notice, some of our other singers are not here tonight, but we'll be having an influx in and out of the course of the summer. And also on the platform is one of the students that I've taught at Visible. He graduated, what, two years? Uh, last, year. last year. And it's Carl Wright on the electric guitar. And so we welcome you. Um, and Hope is going to be leading us, and I will wait for you if you would like to stand with us. I cry to you 
darkest places I will call Incline your ear to me anew And hear my cry for mercy, Lord Were you to count my sinful ways How could I come before your
chapter 40, the writer there and the prophet says, says, those that wait upon the Lord, he will renew their strength. They would mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. This one is the, I believe it's taken from that, that strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Join in with us.
Amen. I've never sat and preached before, so maybe if I scoot down far enough, you can't see me, see? I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. So my name is Tom Sauer, for those that don't know me. I'm a lay minister here on staff at Germantown, very part-time, to visit the homebound, and other duties as assigned. See. So, but I was very pleased when Will asked me to prepare some remarks this morning, although I told him early on I was wrestling with the Old Testament reading hoping he'd either offer some words of, you know, wisdom that just drips from him, or he might have pity on me and say, that's okay, we'll all let an expert take it. Instead he said, hmm, sounds like you need to be preaching this one then. So, you be the judge as to how well his wisdom is, what, how good his wisdom is. I'm going to start with the Old Testament reading, the reading from Galatians. And I hope you'll see the tie-in, but uh, anyway... So here's what the Apostle Paul tells the church in Galatia, where he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. However, if you bite and devour one another, Take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For, those, for these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. And before I get to the Old Testament reading, I need to give a little background. You know, last week Will talked about David fighting and slaying Goliath. And we've been using the book, Old Testament book of 1 Samuel to look at the different ways God is at work, both individually and collectively. But I'm jumping ahead now to the beginning of 2 Samuel. And it's a big jump from David defeating Goliath to today's reading. And you need a little background to fill in. So after David kills Goliath, the remainder of 1 Samuel tells how Saul became jealous of David. 
David was successful in everything he did. And Saul became very jealous. David became close friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. Saul was also jealous of that. I think you're getting the picture that Saul was very jealous. Saul came to see David as a threat. And he tried several times to either kill David outright or have others kill David. In response, David would run away. Saul would chase him. Twice, David was in a position where he could have killed Saul, but chose not to. He was God's anointed king at that time. Saul was. So, with that in mind, let's move now forward to the end of 1 Samuel, and we hear that Saul and, and Jonathan have been killed in battle. And 1 Samuel starts with David hearing the news and responding. So let me pick up that reading now. After the death of Saul, David returned from striking down the Amalekites and stayed in Ziklag two days. David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan, and he ordered that the people of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. It is written in the book of Jashar. A gazelle lies slain on your heights, Israel. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines be glad. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. Mountains of Gilboa. May you have neither dew nor rain. May no showers fall on your terraced fields. For there the shield of the mighty was despised. The shield of Saul no longer rubbed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the flesh of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. The sword of Saul did not return unsatisfied. Saul and Jonathan... In life they were loved and admired, in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold. How the mighty have fallen in battle, Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother, for you were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. How the mighty have fallen. The weapons of war have perished. This is the word of the Lord. As I mentioned, I struggled with this passage. and One of the realizations I came to is that I was very surprised by David's reaction. This is not the eulogy I expected him to give. I thought David would give in to his human nature and give a very human response. Take the opportunity to mock Saul, maybe. Look, everyone, the supposedly great King Saul is, wasn't so great after all. He tried to kill me, but he's dead now and I'm alive. Or he could have taken opportunity to air his grievances against Saul, building himself up in the process. This was a perfect time for him to have the last word. To tell the world how bad Saul really was and how everyone is better off with 
Saul dead. Now I thought David would act like a daughter who spoke these words at her mother's funeral. She said, Mom actually was not a nice person. She was vain, selfish, and mean. She was physically abusive to us and mentally cruel to us. When someone asks me what my good memories of my mother are, I cannot think of a single one. Yeah, wow. But that's the kind of speech I thought David would give. A celebration over the death of Saul. And then I reflected, we're like this, aren't we? And not just at funerals. This is our nature. We're wired to see ourselves as the good person in every situation. We're wired to give voice to our every impulse to build ourselves up. To do what we need to do to promote ourselves. Even if that means knocking someone else down. We judge circumstances by our limited vision and allow our judgment to determine how we respond. Me first always comes first. We let our human nature rule our thoughts and our decisions. We say this feels right, and we proceed, not realizing the damage we're doing to either ourselves or to others. This is our nature. But we haven't always been this way. God didn't create us, create us to be selfish, egotistical, greedy. He created us in His image, giving us the capacity to create reason and love. But as Scripture tells us in Genesis, human nature experienced a fall. One of the results of Adam's sin is that our human nature became corrupted. Our nature is now bent to sin so that our hearts are, as the prophet Jeremiah said, deceitful and desperately sick. We live in a fallen world, and the original sin, the I want to be God, results in tribalism, ego, and greed. We think we should be the center of the universe, and we're tempted to, whatever, to do whatever is needed to maintain our status. Lie, cheat, steal, sometimes even kill. And our frustration when we can't be that center leads to fear, anger, bitterness, hatred, enmity, guilt. I could go on. We humans want what we want when we want it, even if someone else is hurt. And so I'm betting David had these same impulses and desires. But Scripture tells us David was a man after God's heart. And with the Spirit's help, David was able in this instance, to rise above his nature, to be saved from his human impulse, and to deliver a heartfelt and gracious eulogy. We can clearly see God reflected in the words that David says. God saved David from himself and allowed him to see the deaths of Saul and Jonathan for what they were. It was the end of two human lives under tragic and violent circumstances something each of us should mourn. And it ended any chance of reconciliation between David and Saul. It was the death of God's anointed king. 
and it eliminated any chance of Saul's redemption. David lost a close friend, Jonathan. He lost that companionship, that relationship. It was the death of that relationship. But it was also a military crisis. Israel's enemies could see this as an opportunity to strike before the Israelites had a chance to reorganize. And finally, it was a political crisis. The death of any king inevitably sets off a battle for succession. And Saul had plenty of family who, would, who could fight to assert their family's dominance. Because of God's spirit within him, David was able to help the people see what Saul's death truly meant. And David was able to become the leader that God called him to be. And I say this is true of us as well. Our corrupted human nature is not our end. It is not our fate. You see, God sent us a Savior, Jesus Christ, to save us from ourselves. But even after our salvation, our struggle against our human nature continues. But here's the good news for today. Christ sent us a helper, the Holy Spirit, to help us rise above our selfishness, our ego, our greed, and to replace our desires with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So how do we do that? Well, I see three ways. First is to acknowledge our sinful nature, to recognize that within us and admit our need for God. And when we hand ourselves over to God, He will, as Christ promised, Send the Holy Spirit to help us. Second step is to listen for God's voice, for his gentle leading. I'm always amazed at what I hear when I turn off the incessant voices calling for my attention. Television, radio, cable news, social media, to name just a few. And truly listen for God's voice. It's so much easier to hear God's voice when I'm actively listening for him. In his book, When I Relax, I Feel Guilty, Tim Hansel tells the story of visiting New York City with a Native American friend of his. And in the midst of that busy and noisy city, his friend said, I hear a cricket. Tim said, I said, you're crazy. You can't hear a cricket with all the noise around here. No, I'm sure I hear a cricket, his friend said. So he walked to the corner, crossed the street, and started looking around. He saw a shrub in a large cement planter, and he dug beneath the, the leaves, and there was a cricket. Tim said, I was astounded. But his friend said, my ears are no different from yours. It simply depends on what you're listening for. Here, let me show you. So his friend reached into his pocket and pulled out a handful of coins. He tossed them out on the pavement, and Tim says, every head within a block turned to look at the money. You see what I mean, his friend asked? It all depends on what you're listening for. So I say, what do we hear when we're talking to a friend? 
Do we hear their words saying, no, I'm okay? Or do we hear the hurt that they're not telling us? Do we hear our to-do list distracting us? Or do we hear our children pleading for our attention? And what do our friends hear when they listen to us? Do they hear words of grace or words of judgment? Do they hear a message that will lift them up or tear them down in my interest of promoting myself? When we stop and listen, we will hear God speaking to us. And finally, we need to look for opportunities to serve others, to put others first. Michael Powell wrote a book, Straighten Up, and he has this story from an unnamed doctor who says, the doctor writes, as I started my practice of medicine, I had a pretty high opinion of myself. I thought I walked on water, and I allowed a spirit of arrogance to take over the way I practiced medicine and the way I approached my patients. I thought I had better things to do than spend my time treating hopeless cases. One day, though, a young man I'll name John came into my office. A colleague had referred him to me, and I was silently furious. John was 14 years old and extremely ill. His parents had abandoned him. He had no friends and lived in a foster home. And there he was in my treatment room. So he said, I put on my I'm the doctor and I know everything face and got to work. Well, over the next year, John was in and out of the hospital and underwent many painful treatments, all intended to give him some relief. I spent countless hours examining John, thinking about his case, thinking of things I could try. Everything, nothing worked. The longer the case went on, the more I viewed it as an ordeal. I was tired and frustrated and still a little mad at myself for taking John's case. I should be working on cases that will bring great advances in medicine, not this dying teenager. Finally, though, after one particularly frustrating day of treatment, John grabbed my arm and said, I'm sorry to be such a burden to you. And the doctor says, that's when God's spirit brought me up short. In that moment, I realized I had been treating John as a burdensome medical case not as a human being. I was focused on my needs and my wants, not on a fellow human being who deserved much better care than I was providing. Realized John had a sweet spirit and never complained, no matter what I did, how painful the treatment. God convicted me, and I began right then to put John first, to treat him as a child of God and not as a hopeless medical case. And he concludes by saying, I encountered Jesus that day in the person of John, and I was humbled. I thought I was required to do great things for the benefit of all humanity. The Holy Spirit reminded me I was called to do better things for the least of my brothers and sisters. I will never forget my encounter with Jesus or the lesson John taught me. So I conclude with these words, my friends. God is at work in you and in me 
saving us from ourselves, helping us rise above our corrupt nature, from our desire to put ourselves first in all things. So let's let him go to work. Amen. you'd like to stand with us? Jayla is going to lead us in Turn Your Eyes. Just as Tom was ministering to us, we have to always turn our eyes to the Lord to really help us. Sometimes the biggest obstacle is not outside of us, it's inside of us. And so join in with us as we sing Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus.
Friends, at this time in our service, we always turn our hearts toward offering and toward generosity, and I invite you to do so now. There are offering plates by the door as you leave. If you'd like to make an offering, or if you're watching online, you can certainly do so electronically through the church website, and you can give uh, in a number of ways there if you go to that page on our website. So thank you for your generosity. We'll dedicate this offering as we also lift up our prayers for the world as well. Let us pray. Gracious God, we do thank you for the word that Tom brought us tonight. And Lord, we do pray that you would help us to be growers of the fruit of the Spirit. We pray for your Spirit to live in us, Lord, that we might exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. But we pray that you would indeed give us also insight into our lives. Holy Spirit, convict us of those places where we live by envy or jealousy where we are inclined to factions and to strife. Lord, we pray that you would help us indeed live by your spirit and live less and less to the flesh. Lord, we pray for places in our world tonight where there is great anxiety, where there is great um, grief, where there is great fear. We think of people in South Florida, oh Lord, and the collapse of the building there, and we pray for those survivors, and we pray for those, Lord, who are unsure of their loved one's circumstances. We pray for your peace to pass all understanding there. We pray for other places in our world, O oh God, where uh, the climate is unusually hot. We think of folks in the Pacific Northwest and the great temperatures there. We pray, O oh Lord, a relief and a break. We think of places out west where there is great drought and such dryness and the, the drying up of water supplies. And we pray, O oh God, for rain good rain to rain down and refresh with water and with your spirit. Lord, we pray for other places where there is warfare and where there is anger and strife. We pray for the Prince of Peace to come and to exhibit his will of goodness and love for all people. Lord, hear this prayer of dedication and hear our prayers for the world as we unite our one voice into many, as we pray the prayer that Christ taught us, saying together, Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We're going to stand for one last song, if you don't mind. This, this last song is a, a very well-known song titled Do It Again, and it's just proclaiming and declaring the faithfulness of God and remembering what He's already done in our lives. And now we're just going to sing, Father, do it again in our lives and believe that. So sing this with us as we say, Father, do it again. We believe that you're faithful, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
My friends, God's promise to send the Holy Spirit is indeed true. He is faithful. His promise stands. We will let him in when we acknowledge our sinfulness, listen for his voice, and then go out and serve others. Love our neighbor as ourselves. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us today and evermore. Amen.